Yo, yo, this is Jason Goff from the Full Go Podcast. Me and the crew, we like to entertain you. And we're going to do more of that this football season because the Bears should be more intriguing. There should be more fascination. Justin Fields, is this the make or break year? Is DJ Moore the piece that's going to put them over the top? You can catch us on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays or when we have an emergency podcast when we have breaking news. Make sure you follow the Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of the Ringer F1 show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome to the Ringer F1 Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your host, Megan Schuster, and I'm here with a slightly different version of our podcast intro today. Spanners and I recorded this episode about the U.S. Grand Prix before it was announced that Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc were disqualified from the race. That disqualification came after technical breaches were discovered on their cars during a plankware inspection, and those irregularities were noted by the FIA. Following that inspection and a meeting with representatives from both Mercedes and Ferrari, race stewards determined that the plankware on both cars was outside of the thresholds allowed in the technical regulations, and both were disqualified. Lewis had been in second place and Charles in sixth, so without them, the new podium finishers are Max Verstappen in first, winning his third straight U.S. Grand Prix, Lando Norris in second, and Carlos Sainz in third. Rounding out the rest of the top 10 are Sergio Perez, George Russell, Pierre Gasly, Lance Stroll, Yuki Tsunoda, Alex Albon, and Logan Sargent with his first Formula One point. That is the updated information. Now here's the rest of the episode. We've got a lot to delve into between the sprint weekend and today's race. And joining me to get into all of it is Spanners Ready. Spanners, how are you? I'm good. You know how we had the dilemma where everything was going to be late in the day for me. The race is at 8 p.m. Start podcasting here at at 10 o'clock. And then Mm -hmm. I'm going to be doing stuff for the next four hours, F1 commitments. However, I've switched it around. I had a a huge sleep on Sunday and I woke up at 7 p.m. So I'm now I'm having a second Sunday. The only downside is uh, my wife has brought down a, a duvet and a pillow and said, You'll be sleeping in there tonight. Don't <laughs> don't come and wake me up at two in the morning. So I am in the shed slash bedroom today. How does your second Sunday affect your first Monday is my biggest follow-up question. It's going to be carnage, but it's worth it because this is one of the, the best Grand Prix so far. And as much as I like to say to people, oh, you can ignore Max up, up at the front. And I said the same thing when Hamilton mm-hmm. was dominating and when Vettel was dominating. It's just as good watching the fight for the podium places, it, is, it isn't though, is it? It isn't. It's much more entertaining when there's a genuine chance of a fight up front. And there was today. Mm-hmm. Let's get into that fight up front because a lot of interesting strategy choices, uh, maybe some some fluky Red Bull breaking things happening that we heard a lot from Max about over the radio today, which we can... Uh, dissect some of his uh, communications. That was very classic Max. But I want to start with Lewis's strategy from Mercedes. It seemed like their initial pit stop got caught almost a little bit in between strategies. Most of the drivers close to Lewis had pitted, I believe, at least four laps ahead of him. Max was probably five or six laps ahead of Lewis. Mercedes got on the radio asking him if he could go five laps more. Potentially, they were thinking about a one-stop, which ultimately seemed like maybe an even worse strategy before they did bring Lewis in. He came back out uh, behind Max and had kind of a spicy message back to Mercedes uh. when they said that Max was in his pit window. Um, 
what did what did you make of all of that? What did you think Mercedes was actually going for in that moment? Were they oh my initially God. wanting to do a one stop? If I was a Lewis Hamilton fan, I would be <laughs> livid. And I can tell you, I am livid. I think actually, so later on, they they had to explain why they were so far behind. So you're right, Hamilton's like, why am I seven seconds behind? Why am I so far behind? Mm-hmm. Considering they he had a three a three second lead on Verstappen going into that round of pit stops. So yeah, you'd expect on the undercut Verstappen to to gain a little bit of time. He had like a mm-hmm. three or four lap undercut on fresher tires. So that explains a little bit of it. The standard Mercedes pit stop tax that explains also a little bit. But why why seven seconds? Why are we so far behind? And they say, oh, okay, well, we're on an offset strategy. So the offset mm-hmm. just means, right, we've saved a bit of tires and now at every point along the Grand Prix, and this only really works in multi-stop Grand Prix, at every stage, we should be on fresher tires by the end of the stint and fresher tires by the end of the race. But I think that might have been a bit of a fib to make Lewis Hamilton feel better. I think you're mm-hmm. right. They got caught in between strategies. I think they were going for the one-stop. So in their heads, they went on the team radio and went, we, we could have a one-stop here. And they took mm-hmm. a few laps to think about it. Now I'm staring at the, the lap times. on. Mm-hmm. Do go to F1 live timing during the race and watch that because it's key in a multi-stop race. Suddenly you saw the McLaren starting to struggle. Yeah, and that's when that they they went in. They covered off. Yep. I think Verstappen pitted first, and then mm-hmm. you saw the, the the Mercedes kind of holding on for a little bit. And they came on the team radio and they said, "Can you do uh, you know this plan, or can you do five more laps to yep. Lewis Hamilton?" And they said yep. the same thing to George Russell. Yes, Lewis Hamilton said, "I, I don't know. No, I, actually that seems a bit rough. I'm struggling." And the lap times showed that. So that that would have been the time. Let's listen to the seven time world champion and let's cover off. Uh, Norris and Verstappen and getting they went to Russell and Russell went yeah no no problems easy yep, breezy yep. classic but yeah, George but maybe his you know tyres weren't wearing because he was about a second a lap off mm-hmm. but they they seemed to go with Russell initially and then they panicked looked at the lap times and went oh this is no good but so they got caught in between I think they, I think they got caught uh, short of a, a, an attempted one stop and then really that offset was too expensive so you know I'm no mathematician but I think the offset cost them 10 seconds uh, or 11 seconds even. They end up 7.2 seconds behind Verstappen in that first stint. They were about six or seven seconds behind Norris after the second stint. So yeah, they've got this great offset and a better tire at the end, but it cost too much. And mm-hmm. I, I think like you would at the beginning of the weekend, I actually upset McLaren fans because I said, yeah, it's good qualifying pace, but in a multi-stop race, which this was likely to be, McLaren are going to struggle. So you go, surely they knew they were racing Verstappen and, right. and not Norris. And it just really feels like they threw it away. And of course, you can't predict that, oh, it was going to be 1.8 seconds at the end. But yeah, there was so there was so much opportunity to maximize what was happening. And you look at the last stint, Lewis Hamilton had tires left and was still pushing. Mm. So it wasn't that classic thing of the softer tire just desperately hanging on. He could have gone another four or five laps. Anyway, like I said, thank goodness I'm not a Hamilton fan or I would be, <laughs> I would be fuming. <laughs> Yeah, we have to get into some kind of theories with this stuff, which is always sort of difficult to parse all of the theoretical. What if we did this? How would this have come out? And yeah, it's great. It, it's interesting to take into account how Max's braking issues affect all of this because it didn't totally seem like that was a huge problem for him in the beginning of the race, and it sort of exacerbated as the race went along. So his pace starts to drop off with that second set of hard tires, and you know his his attitude drops off along with that. But you're also dealing with sort of a dejected Lewis Hamilton during all of this because he wants, understandably so, answers as to why this is the strategy, why he is suddenly so far off the pace, why he now has this giant gap, as I think he said multiple times, um, that he is now solely in charge of, of coming up with. And to even get it back to two seconds, I think makes all of this seem so much worse because you have to imagine if you pit two laps earlier, three laps earlier, however much, you would think you would get that time back. Okay, so I'll try and use Americanisms here. It was a, yeah. it was we had two coulda woulda shouldas. Mm. Was that was that quite American? Okay, yeah, so the, the first coulda woulda shoulda is what if they just covered off Norris, and the yeah. second coulda woulda shoulda is what if they had actually gone for the one stop and like okay, 
leave Hamilton out for another four or five. I think you'd have had to have gone quite a long way. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe that one stop was just ambitious, or I'm wrong, and they were never going for a one stop because I guess the alternative would be go longer, like they were asking them to go, go onto the hards, and then and then bolt on softs at the end, like have a really super short thing. So, which we it, saw Daniel Ricardo try to do, and it was miserable. Okay, yeah. Well, there, there we go. Because I mean, the softs were obviously faster over over one lap. But I, I, I think the two choices were, yeah, go for that one stop. But you could see that that probably wasn't on just by the fact that the mediums were starting to to go off. But the hards did kind of last maybe a lot longer than everyone thought, and and that's probably what saved uh, Verstappen there at the end. Um, but look, when it comes to strategy, at least Red Bull and McLaren seem to have laser clarity and they picked yes. their their strategy and they went for it and they executed it whereas Mercedes were caught dithering and Ferrari also seemed to be completely nowhere with with Leclerc who by the way can I just remind everyone Leclerc started this Grand Prix on pole I I furiously needed that reminder at the end when he started uh, having to give places back to his teammate Carlos Sainz and got passed by Sergio Perez and put up next to no fight on that one-stop strategy. So yeah, it, it doesn't seem like a one-stop would have done Mercedes any favors. I think Sky Sports no. and their simulations would have projected Lewis to finish third if he had done that. So it probably is a good thing that Mercedes changed their mind, but... Too late, though. Too late. But too late. <laughs> but too late. Too little too late. Okay, so um, there's an alternate universe where they go, Lewis, can you do another five laps on these tires? No. I believe you, you're quite good at race cars. Let's, <laughs> let's get in there and cover off the, the guys up front. And then, you know, you, you, it's hard to argue that that wouldn't have put them closer to, to Verstappen. The, the, the only slight argument is, well, he wouldn't have had such a tyre delta to Norris. But with, with the struggles McLaren had at the end of every stint, I, I think they were going to get Norris at some point. Mm-hmm. Brutal. Well, it's a great thing that you're not a Lewis Hamilton fan. Otherwise, today would be... Yeah, it would be hard. But it's still really positive, right? Because what did we say? We said that this is not necessarily a track that's going to suit Mercedes. You know, it's going to be super bumpy and they have this new upgrade. Mm -hmm. So expectations have kind of been exceeded. So I think everyone leaves the Mercedes garage with that P2, except George Russell. Everyone leaves Mercedes (laughs) happy going, yeah, this upgrade's working. Something's good here. Now Mm -hmm. imagine let's get onto a smoother track let's get um mexico's gonna hurt them because of the low altitude but yeah let's have a look at interlagos let's see how this goes round round in brazil this could be really interesting are they learning good stuff for next season yeah speaking of george tough weekend for him finished eighth in the sprint race fifth in qualifying seventh in the actual race uh just didn't really seem to be much of a factor at all speed wise i don't know if he was struggling with the upgrade or just maybe didn't really have it this weekend, but uh, he and Lewis were very, very far apart all weekend. Yeah, before we, uh, before we call the, 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 the local Lord Mayor to bring the stocks out uh, to George Russell, I'm not exactly certain they both had the same exact upgrade, mm. but as we were predicting in the preview, who, who is this going to affect if you've got a bit more tire wear? And so we, we see in, in Qatar where the tires didn't have enough time in a stint to wear People like Piastri, Russell, Ferrari, uh, McLaren in general actually had their weaknesses, if you want to put it that way, uh, masked and taken mm-hmm. away. And so we did predict that Piastri would struggle a little, that the gap between Hamilton and Russell would go back to where it's kind of been over the course of the season. But even yeah. this was actually quite a big gap. So I would say, you know, it's one data point, but it looks like it's reversion to the mean in that gap between Hamilton and Russell. Should we get into the race winner? Max Verstappen, 50th career Formula One win, done in a relatively interesting fashion. Starts sixth on the grid, uh, climbs his way to first. Eventually, I think the first minute that he took the lead of the race was around lap 28. So it took about halfway through the race for him to get up to the front. Was dealing with some brake issues and uh, took it out on poor John Pierre Lambiasi, his his yeah. lovely race engineer. Um, multiple times in the race, I was wondering what you would have to say to a race engineer to get them to respond anything other than understood. Like, how mean or nasty or shocking would you have to be to get any sort of like visible verbal rise out of them? Passive aggressive is the nature of the race engineer. So. <laughs> Uh, Lambiassi, he is 
responsible. And I didn't realize this recently for my all time favorite radio message. And mm. it was against uh, Paul uh, De La Rosa, uh, Paul, Paul DeResta, I beg your pardon, Paul DeResta in the Force India. And he had been complaining about strategy constantly. And over the radio, I didn't know who this was at the time. They went, okay, Paul, what we're going to do is we're going to let you tell us when you want to change tires and we'll do it. Okay, Paul. And that was his last season. And it turns out it's the same guy. This is the same uh, is Lambiassi. And uh, I think that's his style. But I would imagine that if you had a race engineer that turned around and went, do you know what? I'm not paid enough for this. You can, <laughs> you can, go, you can go swing, lad. Um, they probably well, wouldn't last very long, would they? We we got cl- close to that at the end when uh, he was congratulating Max over the radio on his win and basically said, I'll see you on Friday. <laughs> and now that might just be the, the the typical deal when you have back-to-back races and, you know, they'll see plenty of each other. But that was pretty <laughs> funny. Like, not expecting to see you after the race. We'll just wait until Friday and we'll talk then. Are you not coming to the party? No, I'm, wa- I'm washing my hair, Max. <laughs> I won't be there. I won't be there. Um but yeah, it seemed like Max is dealing with a lot of breaking issues. And I'll be curious what, if anything, we hear from Red Bull about those, if that was sort of a one-off for this race or what was going on. Martin Brundle made a joke at one point asking whether Max had to break using the Fred Flintstone style of just sticking his feet through the bottom of the car and trying to slow it down that way, if that's why he was so irritated. But were you, did you come away from this more impressed by kind of Red Bull's strategy decisions or Max's performance? Or are you at all concerned about how close things came for them at the end? Am I concerned for poor Red Bull and Max? Oh, Max, how does he do it? How does he drag that monstrosity (laughs) across the line week after week? So, yeah, it did sound a bit kind of het up on the radio. But Mm -hmm. I I would like to know the process of, of how they decide which radio messages get broadcast. So sure. we had, uh, you know, um, I had someone listening to the whole Mercedes team radio, for example, and Lewis Hamilton was really quiet during the race. Mm-hmm. But if you'd have listened to it, you'd have thought he was constantly whinging about track limits or, or tires or sure. the strategy. But what it was, was they were actually just broadcasting all of his radio. And mm-hmm. I wonder if they did that with Verstappen a little bit today. Like he could have been really chilled and then just got annoyed a couple of times because they were talking whilst he was in the breaking zone. So I don't take those things kind of, you know, to heart. Uh, I once found GoPro footage of me in a cart and I had not listened to the volume. I'd only looked at it trackside as I observed me getting overtaken and being beaten. But when I I found it at home and I played it, I didn't realise it captured the audio. And Mm. I, I, I don't remember being that angry, but I sounded furious. But if you could have shown, you know, me getting out of the car, I'd have jumped out and gone, what a brilliant day. But mm. from the mm-hmm. mic pickup, it sounded like I was having, you know, a hellscape of a time. So no, I, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. The track was bumpy. So, you know, we know in Singapore, Red Bull struggled with the bumps as well. But the key thing is a lot of teams brought upgrades to Circuit of the Americas, Aston Martin, Mercedes included. Red Bull have definitely, they've just stopped. So they're not thinking about this season at all. Um, is that to the point where we could get some cheeky Brazil wins? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the mm-hmm. championship is over. There's no reason for them to throw resources at, at this car. Yeah. What do you make of Ferrari's day today? Specifically, Ferrari and our, our dear friend, Charles Leclerc, because the slow one-stop was always going to be kind of brutal in a race that already has high tire degradation and on a car that does not manage tires well. And you have someone who is the pole sitter of the race, and it just sort of felt like they were throwing him to the wolves from the beginning. He and Carlos weren't really battling with the cars around them, and I guess sort of understandably so if you don't think that your fight is ultimately with those cars. But then to put him on a one-stop and to just kind of see him petering around the track at the end and getting very easily overtaken by everyone was a sad sight. I was I was upset. <laughs> yeah, well, Leclerc was upset as well. So <laughs> I, I wonder, and neither of us here are race uh, design engineers, I wonder what it is that makes your car really, really fast on a, on a Saturday but means you burn through your tires during the race. Because Ferrari have mm-hmm. been like this for a, for a while. Yeah. And... Is it a case of, okay, well, you make your fast lap car and then you sort out the tires? Or is there something inherent about the design that means they flatter us on a Saturday, but then fall away? So again, mm-hmm. I know it's, it's boring, but this is the same prediction we made about Piastri and Russell. 
which is sure. that their, their tyres were, were always going to struggle. So there was no way anyone should have been putting a bet on any Ferrari at the beginning of this race, and they were only ever going to go backwards. What was interesting was how how much the drivers knew that and didn't seem to really defend after mm-hmm. lap one. But I think mm-hmm. the, the critical radio message that made me sad, that made me sad for Ferrari, I am not a Ferrari fan, but when they were telling Leclerc, yeah, we've got to choose, you know, do, do you think plan C is okay or should we go to plan D? And there was like two laps left in the race. So they'd obviously not, that's not an ongoing conversation they'd been having. And Leclerc was just exasperated. And he's going, well, guys, why are you even giving me this option now? It's, it's obviously too late. You've already ruined my race mm-hmm. and you've already ruined my race to the point that I didn't even really bother telling you that we'd gone past the point of no return and you're still telling me to box shadows. And then, and then like, well, why, why can't I fight, you know, signs? Mm-hmm. So Ferrari also thought that they had this big opportunity to go and catch Lando Norris, which wasn't there, considering Norris was dropping like a stone as well. Well, and that's the thing too, is that uh, they did not keep Carlos close enough to give Charles DRS, which allowed, I mean, not that he's, you know, his tires were already pretty shot at that point. So I don't think he's going to hold off Checo ultimately, but you would think they would try to give him a fighting chance against the Red Bull to hold on to his position. I, I'm sure it wasn't going to happen, but it would have been a <laughs> yeah. nice show of solidarity, perhaps. Um, oh yeah, like lend me your DRS. Let's let's double defend him. What what, what yeah. race was it that they did that? Singapore. Let's do a Singapore and, and share <laughs> DRS. No, it was... It's it's interesting to go, well, which one of these drivers would do better if there was, you know, a real clear plan, if they had tires that they could go racing with. So we talk about which drivers are, are better at managing the tires. I think both of them just don't have a chance with what the Ferrari is doing on a Sunday. Yeah. But it's a real fundamental question with Pep Pirelli going out of the sport at some point. You know, what formula do you want? What kind of driver would you rather be? Because in this era. And by the way, we should say no more one-stop races ever again. Like mm-hmm. this shows how as soon as you yeah. push out to that two-stop where, not like Qatar, the two-stop where, the races yes. suddenly get great. And look at the drivers that that rise to the top. So if next season they listen to people and have less conservative tire choices or less conservative tire compounds, look at the drivers that are going to excel out of the teams. I think it is clear that Norris is still going to be the number one and he can manage that Pirelli tyre over a Grand Prix distance. Lewis Hamilton, this race was absolutely in his wheelhouse. It's a track mm-hmm. that he loves as well. And and Max Verstappen. So those are, are probably our three big guns at the moment in Formula One if we're looking at a battle for next season. Mm-hmm. We haven't had a chance to see which one of the Ferraris is going to be better because they just, they haven't had um, a car that can put a Sunday together. Yeah. My saddest Charles radio message of the day was after they let Carlos through and he said, you know, s- sort of dejectedly, you know, why, why did you make me do that? We'll, we'll talk after the race. It- it's never good when you get a, we need to talk message over the radio. Yeah. Hey, hey, listen, hey, listen, it's like, it's like, is it worse? It's worse when it's from your doctor. It's like, uh, yeah, we need to talk. <laughs> no, no, this, af- this afternoon we need to talk. Um, Call me as oh, soon as you can. Yeah. Or, uh, but look, it's, it's, it's interesting that your segment isn't, hey, here's something that made me sad on Le- Charles Leclerc's radio. It was the radio call that made me saddest. <laughs> <laughs> so, There's so just look, so yeah. many to choose from, you know? You yeah, have to I, rank feel, I feel for both of those drivers because they're both kind of really going for it and they're trying, but you can feel the radio messages from Leclerc and, and his just general kind of head down and it's just getting worse and worse. And you get the feeling that if Hamilton did snap retired or a seat comes up somewhere else, you get the feeling he'd go. Yeah. Um, this was Charles's tenth start from pole in a row without a race win. Oh my goodness! Well, doesn't that doesn't that just perfectly demonstrate what we've been talking about about the weaknesses mm-hmm. in the Ferrari mm-hmm. car? So some of that was unreliability. I guess what would that include Monaco? Did he start at Monaco in 2022? Was that on pole? And then they they double stacked him in the end. So yeah, I yeah, don't, I they, don't know. Yeah, but yeah, it was the strategy stuff last year. Yes, that was yeah. what. Just so some truly t- sad stuff. So it's a mix between the strategy calls and the and just the fact that they can't make the tire last on a Sunday. So poor fellas, I would like to see them able to fight because yeah, I think we've mm-hmm. got a real good battle brewing. Even if Verstappen wins it next season, I think we've got a good good battle brewing as as regulations consolidate and as always happens in Formula One, it will get closer and closer and closer, and they'll go, wow, we've got a really 
tight formula in this regulation set. Let's mm-hmm. change everything and have one <laughs> team come out and dominate. We love it. We love it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about turn one because it's such a fun start to the race and such interesting strategy going up that hill. I There's love a it. really obvious advantage of starting second in the grid here, which we saw with Lando today. But where does this first turn kind of rank for you in terms of turn one excitement on these tracks? Because it's it's a lot higher for me after today than I thought it was. It's the best. I think we had a conversation earlier in the mm-hmm. week where I said to you, like, the, this is one of the most interesting turn ones on the calendar because that route down the inside is so much shorter. And in yeah. current F1 rules, you really, all you have to do is make sure you stay on track on the exit. It's not mm-hmm. going to be the fastest way around the corner, but you can you can block someone. Yeah. So the stewards, I think, did an interesting job of not penalizing the cars yes. on the outside on turn one, lap one, that mm-hmm. went off track. So Hamilton mm-hmm. during the sprint race, Verstappen and Russell uh, did that today. So they held on to their positions by, by going off track. But that's just because the inside car is just firing up the inside. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's like super interesting. But the thing that was worrying me was there is now this kind of general acceptance that if you're the inside car, if you're ahead by the apex, by whatever means, and that could be by locking your 11s and just skidding down into the apex, mm-hmm. that's your corner now. And you can just go to the edge of the track and the other track has to yield. So uh, the other car has to yield. You're not entitled to space unless you're ahead at the apex. It's a really clumsy and blunt rule. I agree they needed a rule, but it's blunt. So was this Verstappen on Le- on Norris or Verstappen on Leclerc? I, I it was someone overtaking Leclerc, but fired it down the inside. I think it was Verstappen. Really narrow line and then just goes all the way to the edge. And Leclerc's got no choice but to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. You, you should do that if you're Verstappen. You should do that. But is that the kind of racing we want? And doesn't that, doesn't that ultimately limit the amount of racing we're going to get? Because the battle's then over. If the car on the inside is just slightly ahead, you can just yeah. run the other car off. And the other car can't hang it around the outside because then you're gaining a lasting advantage by being off track. Right. So they have to dip, dip out of it. If they were entitled to room, that battle then continues to the, the next corner. And actually, if you go back down the field in the sprint race and look at some of Sonoda's battles with the Haases, now Sonoda is actually a pretty fair and decent racer. Yeah. For all the shouting and yelling, he, he mm-hmm. seems to, he leaves people room. I, I don't think he gets in an awful lot of contacts. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. But they were side by, he was side by side with one of the Haases for, for nearly half a lap. And so I, I think if you want to encourage better racing, we, we've got to, we've got to, say that the outside car is entitled to some racing room or, or something a little bit more than if you're not ahead at the apex, you're out of there and you've got to bail out. Because, yeah, like I said, the battles just end. Yeah. I, I was really glad that they let the lap one stuff go just because I think it's so hard to litigate that stuff. And it takes away from a lot of the excitement of the race if you're going back through and parsing and saying, oh, well, you know, Lewis got kind of forced off and it was a really tight window and he went out ahead and now we're going to penalize him like that stuff sucks but I do like the configuration of this corner because I feel like it's just wide enough where you can get a couple of cars kind of inching through together but not so wide that everyone is allowed to go through and you you know you do kind of get those those uh close close contacts I guess that we like to see if you can cast your mind back to the Saturday sprint race with Hamilton and Leclerc on lap one what was really interesting was Hamilton was round the outside he'd finished the corner. So he'd done all his braking, mm-hmm. he'd done all his turning, and he was straightening up. Whereas Leclerc's trajectory, he was still very much taking the corner and on the apex. So they were nearly at 90 degrees to each other. I'm exaggerating, of course. <laughs> and so so Hamilton's basically on a straight. Leclerc is on a corner. So which rules do you apply here? Because if it yeah. was on a straight, if it was on a straight, clearly Leclerc can't just drive over and, and push mm-hmm. Lewis Hamilton off. Although... Although Verstappen would disagree because he did that to Leclerc <laughs> up the inside, didn't he? I think that was um, on the on the sprint race. So, so yeah, Hamilton's finished the corner. Leclerc's still going for it. Which rules do you apply? Um, if it was in a corner, then you'll have to say, well, Hamilton wasn't ahead at the apex, therefore he should yield. So the common sense thing that they've been doing in Formula One is basically, if you are avoiding contact, that's better for the sport than hanging on for dear life or in that kind of bunch, better than lifting off completely and going backwards because at the start right. there's always a car behind you. So mm-hmm. even in you know tracks that they've got a a right left chicane like Singapore, 
there's always like a runoff area. So it's, it's, it's allowed. You're not allowed to gain places doing it, but you are allowed to avoid contact and then come back on and, and keep going racing. Yeah. Uh, my last thing on this one, I just really love the camera angles that they get on it, both at the top of the hill and when you get that shot from the top of the hill going back down the straight and you see them kind of coming up that. It's glorious. I yeah. love it. Great giant United States flag. I wonder if that's the biggest one that exists in the world. I, it's probably not, but it seems like it should be. Um, yeah, I will have nightmares about how giant that flag is and the Texas flag that they have at Coda. Just, just wild. To me, it's a, this, is a, this is a proper, proper racetrack. Uh, it's the, be- the best of the new tracks, certainly. And whilst I have sympathy for people who hark after Paul Ricard and Hockenheim, those kind of tracks are a little bit of a, a relic. You know, now the modern classics really are Circuit of the Americas, Bahrain, I'm going to get hate mail, a meg at the ringer.email. <laughs> so yeah, this is definitely one of the greats. I really, I hope it's in F1 forever. Mm-hmm. You and me both. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. We got a fair bit of Checo news this weekend that I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, parsing and, and reacting to in my own home. Um, we should say that Checo finished fifth in the sprint, fifth in the race, ninth in qualifying, another very tough qualifying showing from him. Um, but Checo kind of spoke to that rumor that we got over the last week saying that he would retire after the season. Um, I think that was started on Reddit, maybe? I'm not entirely sure where, but he was asked about it. He said, that's not the case at all. He's not planning to retire. He is fully committed to Red Bull next season, fully expects to be in that car. Says that there haven't been any sort of conversations about, you know, shifting him around or doing whatever. He seems like he expects to be in Red Bull next year. Um, We also got some remarks from Helmut Marco, who loves to talk about Sergio Perez in any and all contexts. And he said that Checo is, quote, slowly doing better, was praising him, saying that he did some extra simulator oh, work no. ahead of the United States Grand Prix and was was really, you know, <laughs> trying to kind of gas him up this weekend, which I have not heard from Helmut Marco uh, maybe ever. Sorry, with, can you repeat that? Because I think, 
I think that's the worst compliment I've ever heard. How, what did you say? <laughs> Perez is slowly, slowly doing better. Was the quote? Slowly oh my god, doing he's better. slowly doing less bad. That's horrible, slowly isn't it? There's been so yes. many. I, I think the the art of damning with faint praise is like it's just incredible. So yeah. That's what they've been doing with with Perez. He's been so up and down, Marco. He's either been, yeah, he's lazy, he's rubbish. Oh, I back him all the way. Oh, he's not so bad. Like it's all over the place. And yeah. and I think what Red Bull have mastered, and, and Marco in particular, is the art of managing the modern news cycle. It's so quick that whatever you've said is gone, and so you, you can just say the opposite the, the next time, or you can it's deny true. something, deny mm-hmm. something, and then when it happens, just don't address it and just carry on because the news cycle refreshes so quickly. It doesn't matter. And it's not like Parliament. No one's going to go, excuse me, Mr. Marco, I know I want this quote for my magazine, but first of all, on March 17th, you said, blah, blah, it's not going to happen. So yeah, with Perez saying, yeah, "Yeah, I'm not going to retire, I'm not going to retire. When he does, or if he does, then no one's going to turn around and go, hang on a minute, in Cota, you you said you lied to me, Perez, why? So generally, these statements are all PR and it's just what best suits at the time. There have been so many rumours swirling around Helmut Marco falling out with Christian Horner. Verstappen apparently is going to quit if Marco is is sacked. That's the rumour mm. that I heard as well. So interesting. There's there's no there's a lot of smoke, isn't there? But the yeah. fire may may be small. We also got some comments from Sergio about his recent struggles over the last few weeks. Uh you know, kind of going back to August, he's been sort of attributing some of this to the car developments and the developments of the car sort of going away from his driving style. He said over the summer that, quote, the last few races, I've been a step or two behind and always thinking consciously how I have to drive the car. Sometimes with the car, with how the car has been developed doesn't really suit me as much. So I have to work harder for it. He said some similar things this weekend that, quote, the last two weekends have been extraordinary in the way that we just arrived at the circuit. We were not comfortable and we took directions that made it even worse. It's as simple as that. I think there's some development behind it. Uh, There's also some tuning on it, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it seems like kind of what you've been theorizing for a while now, Spanners, that this is has a lot more to do with how Red Bull sets up the car than it does necessarily with Checo is valid. I do still wonder what Red Bull's patience level looks like for fifth place finishes and ninth place finishes in qualifying. Well, not much to add there, Meg, really, except yeah, I I cannot wait till his memoirs. I want to know. (laughs) I want to know. You know, is it it, it the the direction? Is it the fact that it has suited suited Red Bull for Perez to be right up there in in 2021 and it has uh, suited them to have various setups at certain points and and it's suited them to have a driver that's showing their main driver to be amazing when they're super dominant and people are attacking them for being so dominant. They can now point at that. Well, look, the guy who was right up there at the beginning of the season winning races, he's mm-hmm. not doing well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I want, I want to wait till the memoir. That's it. I'm going to hold okay. court. I'm going to hold station. I love it. Uh, what else do you want to talk about from this race? Maybe how often we saw Prince Harry? Is, is that the most that you've seen Prince Harry since he left England? I have to be careful here because I think he's still fourth or fifth in line to the throne. And as you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. us Brits can be just beheaded at a moment's notice by any <laughs> member of the royal family. Um, there was quite a few, you know, you know, it's a very celebrity heavy track. I think you saw Elon Musk there and as well. So I, I do wonder like how much of an influence it has on the drivers. So does Lewis Hamilton get get super excited because David Beckham was in the garage in guitar? Does he go all like, oh, your majesty or your highness? I think, um, I don't think uh, Harry Windsor carries a royal, official royal title anymore. So he probably Mm -hmm. didn't even have to curtsy. (laughs) But that's about my my limit on my knowledge of celebrity attendance of uh, the F1 teams. Yeah. Um, Did you notice Daniel Ricciardo's facial hair this weekend? Tell me about it. I didn't. I might have to go look it up. This is this is where you and me, we have very different angles on what we're looking <laughs> we at do. in an F1 race. We do. Absolutely horrendous. He really likes to go for the full cowboy look when he's in Texas. And it's it uh, not, not one of my personal favorites. It was sort of a, I don't know if handlebar mustache is the right way uh. to go about it, but it was kind of a weird mustache goatee situation that um, wasn't doing him any favors. Uh, neither was his strange 
seemingly one-stop strategy that had to turn into a two-stop when he went on soft tires late because yeah. it, his it current tires probably wouldn't weren't going to finish the race. Um, yeah, what did you see from him this weekend? Anything? Well, I'm jealous of that level of facial hair at all because I, I. Oh, you cannot, found it. Good, good. <laughs> I I can't grow much facial hair, but I have to. And now, whenever I shave, my daughter like cries. She gets really upset. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, in fact, last time I had a full shave, the family sat down and discussed the roundness of my face and maybe some dietary, <laughs> uh, you know, things we could change in the family to reduce wow. the overall, yeah, roundness of my face. So now I have a beard forever. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there Ricardo, look, he's he's um, what off of the back of missing five races. So we were always going to give him a little bit of uh, leniency. Mm-hmm. But before he had that injury, he was a little bit off of Sonoda on race pace. And he's mm-hmm. come back and he's a little bit off on race pace. But like I said, that strategy didn't seem to work out. But I think it's one to watch because we've still got 85 races left in this season. So I think that is one to keep an eye on. Don't worry about qualifying. When it comes to the races, you're watching the live timing now because Uncle Spanner's told you to. Mm-hmm. Have a look on similar stints between Sonoda and Ricardo. And, I, and I've got a feeling that Sonoda's going to end up the season still being the faster driver. And he might really be a little behind Lawson at the moment. Mm-hmm. So I think Ricardo, out of those, out of the four red uh, Toro Rosso, blimey, Toro Rosso, out of the four <laughs> Alpha Tauri drivers this season, you could probably put Ricardo is might end up third on race pace, yet he's still front of the queue to go to Red Bull to to replace Perez. So it's an interesting mm-hmm. one to watch. Very popular, obviously very fast, but I think people are assuming he's going to come in and be faster than Sonoda. Yeah, Yuki looked really good today. Finished tenth. I think he ended up getting the fastest lap at the end too. There, at least they were discussing that. Uh, he did. Which he did. Was, yeah. So an extra world championship point for him. Many congratulations. Uh, yeah, he did really, really well in the race. I think Daniel did end up beating him out in the sprint race, but Yuki also outqualified him. So I'll be very, very curious to watch that over the next couple of weeks just to see what those timings look like and if Yuki can kind of keep ahead of him. Um, yeah, I'm a big Yuki fan. I think like they've they've developed him. They've they've kept him on. They've been really positive. He's he's done well, and I would be so surprised if they were just willing to to dump him. And mm-hmm. I just feel like that's not where that story ends. You know, he's not a pay yeah. driver. There may have been some relationship stuff with Honda, but surely he's done enough to show people he, he's good in F1. And let's say mm-hmm. that the Red Bull train is finished and he does go to Aston Martin. I think he'll go and he'll do a job in Aston Martin. I'm not saying he's going to go off and be a world champion, but, you know, if you want to line, line him up against midfield drivers that have had decades in the sport, how is he going to line up against Perez? Hulkenberg, Magnussen. I think he's clear probably of of Hulkenberg and Magnussen. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I yeah. don't know. I'm a big Yuki fan. But look, I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to be positive, but I feel like at some point we're going to get onto the the farce of the the sprint race and Max Verstappen's comments. So it's uh, so it's going to be it's going to be hard to stay positive. I'm really hoping that you're going to be here defending the sprint weekend massively. What were the comments? I think I missed them. You missed Max Verstappen. Oh, he said, um, if you want to be, if you want my honest opinion, it was something I'll paraphrase. If you want my honest opinion, it was a bit pointless because now we know everybody's race pace. We know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. We know who's fast. He said that that thing of waking up on a Sunday and being surprised after qualifying at people's race pace is completely gone. Um, and it set, it set social media alight because I think there was a lot of people that were like, oh, Oh, well, if Max Verstappen's complaining about it, I, at least I can complain about it. And actually, a lot of the media who perhaps were a little bit neutral or don't want to upset F1, lose their accreditation, well, if the champ is saying it, they can then go, yeah, actually, it is a bit rubbish because Formula One, in this Pirelli tyre era, the good racing, the show, is based around creating a tyre delta around, uh, you know, not necessarily at the beginning of the race, but you have got the option of having an offset strategy. But it's all about that tyre delta, how you manage that tyre, and then different strategies all culminating together. So you get a battle like today or mm-hmm. 2014 Bahrain, Rosberg versus Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And that's where those classic modern F1 battles have come from. It's ridiculous to then have the first third of that as a standalone extra event. It's like cooking, it's like eating half cooked rice. Like the rice needs 10 minutes, you know, to. Yeah. To, to fluff up. You can't just 
have it after three minutes and serve it up and go, that, there you go. <laughs> it's, the, look, it's the same, it boiled. We got the boily bit at the beginning and then, and then you got a bit of the simmer. Go on, mm-hmm. enjoy. And that, mm-hmm. everyone's crunching on their rice. So I think Verstappen saying it has enabled a lot of people to go, this is rubbish. But there's still some holdouts. So even the guys that have been defending it, okay, all right, okay, yeah, well, you're right, it is rubbish. But what if every car has to have one wheel made of wood? What, what if <laughs> they had to jump out of the cars and run the last five laps? Okay, what if there's two sprint races, but the second one, everyone's naked? Pit crew, audience, everyone. Um, so they're, they're scrambling around trying to, to fix something that was, that was in place to fix something that wasn't broken. And it's just, mm-hmm. oh, uh, 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 at some point you would hope that they'd go, do you know what, the old system's great, everyone prefers that, it's a bit much, let's just go back to the normal Grand Prix weekends. But it's not going to happen. It's going to get more and more and more. The sprint weekends are here to stay. And the second I saw after the first sprint weekend, I think they were showing off on Sky, showing off, that the figures were like 400,000 people or something more watched it over Friday and Saturday. Because people like me who might have missed a Saturday practice session. Like, it's not important. I would love to sit down and watch Saturday practice right. session. Right. But, but if it's now sprint quality or the sprint race, you kind of go, oh, well, no. well, I don't want to miss out. It's FOMO, isn't it? I don't want to miss out. I want to know mm-hmm. the, the context of the weekend. Uh, whereas I could miss a practice session, missing a sprint or, or the quality that's now on a Friday evening or a Friday afternoon when I'm at work, I'm less inclined to miss that. So the figures went up. Mm-hmm. But some people were doing it, you know, with a gun to their head. Like, fine, I'll watch it. You know I've, <laughs> you know I've got a problem. Yeah, just inject it into my veins, but I'm not going to be happy about it. As soon as I saw those viewing figures, I knew, like, that's, that is just like, um, you know, commercial operation crack. And they just mm-hmm. had to carry on with the sprint. And they will carry on. So, yeah, now, the, now it's how do we fix what is a bit of a rubbish situation, a bit of a rubbish thing. I think we're just going to have to dish out whatever they give us. So it is, oh, my prediction is they're going to go wilder with it. And, and yeah. we'll, we'll end up at some point with reverse championship grids and carbon fiber sure. flying everywhere on a on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I uh, I try to take everything Max says about sprint races with multiple grains of salt because I think he's the most anti sprint race person. Is it probably oh, okay. on planet Earth? Um, I think if if you eliminated sprint races tomorrow, no one would be happier than Max Verstappen. And I don't really buy his his reasoning that like. Well, now we know what everyone's pace looks like, so the race isn't as exciting. Like I think that's kind of a, a false reasoning for it. But but I am with you in the sense that, you know, when you have people all on one tire, and and I think this sprint race, everyone but Carlos Sainz was all on the medium tire, and we saw how <laughs> going on the sock was for Carlos. So when you have a race where there's really no question about what tire you should be using in the sprint, and you kind of get the results from it that you expect. It's not all that interesting. But I mean, like you said, I think we know why they do it. They're getting more viewers. They're getting, you know, extra people in at the Grand Prix to watch this that are probably more excited to watch a sprint race in person than, you know, practices and a qualifying at the end of practices. So Yeah. Let's think of all the people who can afford to go to lots of Grand Prix. Don't worry about me uh, watching on telly. (laughs) I'll be fine. I, I would rather watch a sprint race than practice too. So, you know, I maybe I'm maybe I'm the problem here. I would compare this to a Danish Christmas. And I always think the Danes and some of the Europeans ruin Christmas because they open like a big present on Christmas Eve and then they open the other presents in the morning. And you wake up on Christmas mm-hmm. morning. As a Brit, I was like, oh, Christmas morning is the best bit, but it had been ruined by Christmas Eve. So that's what I'm comparing the sprint race to a Danish Christmas. And I don't think you'll find anyone else in the F1 media brave enough to make that comparison. <laughs> I was going to say, all you Danes out there, please direct all of your comments <laughs> to Spanners. I, I have no opinions on Danish Christmas. Um, Logan Sargent finished 12th. Oh, yeah, really? You want to you wanna talk about the spike? Okay, good. No, I mean, well, that, that's really all I wanted to say was I just wanted to make sure everyone was aware that uh, two places away from points. Two, oh, two places away from points. And how did Albon do today? Uh, 11th. 11th. So finished he... uh, like 1.2 seconds behind Albon. Okay. So what, what it looks like you want is praise for the American home driver. No, I not, don't. For, I... Hang on. For not losing to his teammate by that much. 
I am just happy to be able to say his <laughs> name on this podcast without it being a complaint. That's it. Yes. That's all and, I'm and saying. <laughs> actually, yeah, it's, it's really lovely because he's been under so much pressure. And when it was one or two crashes, we kept saying, my goodness, we just need to not talk about Sergeant. Because if, mm-hmm. if we mm-hmm. haven't talked about him, it means he didn't end up in a barrier. Yeah. So, so that, to be fair, has happened. I don't think he crashed in Qatar. He didn't crash I don't this think weekend. So. Yeah, exactly. You're having to really wow. think about that. Going, really? I, I Did do. he not crash I in really Qatar? I really do. I'm like, so I need to go look at this. So that's four race starts, if you include the sprints, without getting himself into trouble. So hopefully that's not <laughs> no, he, too little. Oh, well, he DNF'd in Qatar, but that wasn't, <laughs> oh, okay. that wasn't a crash, though. Okay, fair enough. So you go, okay, that, this is what you need. Because the, the crashes were interfering with his chance to actually build and to try and put together a string of results quietly in the midfield. So Williams is probably the perfect team to come in. Um, it's a car that is capable on some weekends. You've got a, a well-regarded driver as your teammate, so not beating him isn't the end of the world. So you need some quiet weekends to string stuff together. But he was actually getting to the point where they didn't have spare parts for him. And that becomes a massive distraction. And actually, if you look at the pay drivers, and I'm going to say pay drivers, if you look at the pay drivers that end up letting, getting let go, it's, it's because of the, the damage. So Haas might have kept, I think Mazepin was on his way out anyway, regardless of the geopolitical yeah. situation, because there was a lot of damage. Schumacher, again, just shrapnel everywhere, lots of damage. And mm-hmm. so I think that's probably what cost De Vries in the end, is, was you know, too many incidents. I don't think it was necessarily raw pace, but he just seemed to you know, yeah. just have, be having these nothingy contacts and crashes. And so with Sargent, that's what was killing him. I don't think, if he'd have had none of those crashes, I don't think it would even be a consideration. It would be like, yeah, of course they're going to keep that right. pay driver on in the background who's minding his own business. And in fact, mm-hmm. Stroll's a great example of that. Stroll just bimbled around, minded his own business. And when there was ultra chaotic races where people were just flying off left, right and centre, he'd be like, doop de doop 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 and pick up his sixth <laughs> or whatever. And he'd look great, but he, he never caused any trouble. Did he? Uh, Mald- Maldonado caused a lot of trouble. And you know, when you're starting to cost more than mm-hmm. the, the, you bring, that's kind of an issue. So yeah, so positive for, for Sergeant. And you can say, Sergeant beat Piastri. There you go. He did. He did. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's get into some questions ahead of Mexico because we have our second of three straight races coming up next weekend. One that I always love to watch from a viewer standpoint. I think it's always a great atmosphere that I like to see. And I just feel like there are a lot of interesting storylines. I think my biggest one or my biggest question is whether Mercedes can stay successful with this upgrade in Mexico. And I know that the altitude uh, in Mexico City shifts things a lot for a lot of these cars. We saw this with Ferrari last year, or maybe it was two years ago, where they just could not hang together with that altitude. And, you know, George had kind of a tough weekend this weekend, but I'm just curious to see whether Lewis can have another showing like this because he looked solid all throughout this weekend in all stages of the race and qualifying and practice. And I hope that this continues. I like when Mercedes is good. Yeah, so the, obviously the high altitude, it's it's the same for everyone. Uh, okay, like I could just guess tech things. So I don't know the, the super technical reasons behind it, but you're mm-hmm. effectively, you've got less air to work with. So you've got less air to push through but that also means less downforce. So they're kind of running super high downforce configurations on a track where you wouldn't necessarily, you know, if you looked at that layout and you put it in Europe on at sea level, if you put it in um, in Northampton, it, it, you wouldn't have that level of, of downforce. So that changes the maths a little bit and you go, okay, well, the teams who have struggled to get a lot of downforce on, like Williams, might, might struggle because effectively this is now a, a high downforce track. So sure. who's it going to suit? You know, that might even go a little bit towards uh, back towards McLaren. It's obviously it's going to sit. Everything suits Red Bull. Boo! But yeah, <laughs> so you go. Ah, so ah, this the, the Mercedes now who've been struggling in a, in a lot of the high speed stuff. Th- is that going to negate the advantage of their or their upgrade or, or what they're bringing? Or is this is this finally the package that's a good platform for them to build on at every race? So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's all guesswork. But I think it's going to be a one stop. I think it's going to be difficult to overtake. So maybe qualifying is a little bit more important. So maybe that brings Ferrari back into it a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Let's go for it. Let's go. Lando Norris win. Qualifies high. 
uh, is, a, wow. is able to, to is able to get in front in turn one because you can overtake into the turn one two complex. Uh-huh. Holds that super difficult to to pass. It's a it's a one stop. He gets the jump. It's a cheeky undercut in. Pits perfectly into a gap and takes that maiden victory. You heard it here first. Spanners thinks Lando gets his first Formula One first win, win next in Mexico. Weekend. Yeah, and uh, wow. yeah, Red Bull. What a, just what a place nowhere. to get your what a place to get your first win. Yeah. That would be a hoot and a half. It's going to be a reasonable party afterwards. <laughs> um, another thing we already kind of talked about this, but I'll be continuing to watch the Danny Rick Yuki timing battles uh, to see yep. who emerges victorious there. Um, and yeah, what what Oscar Piastri and what McLaren can do. Very curious. So this race could have been loads more exciting and have lots more for us to watch, but the regulations are causing some issues. So. Get Andretti in because today we had four cars start from the pit lane. Then mm-hmm. we quickly lost Piastri and then yep. we lost Ocon, Ocon as well. And then we later lost Alonso. Yep. So hang on a minute. That Sergeant P12 is looking a sh- shakier and shakier hey, by the second. Hey, <laughs> hey, he still finished ahead of... Still, yeah, yeah. Facts are facts. I, I get it. Can I, get I do it. math in my head? Five yeah. other guys? Five? Yeah. So, Something. And, 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 of, and of course, the some of the cars that were... That was started in the pit lane made a made a little bit of progress. Not Lance mm-hmm. Stroll so much, uh, but Fernando Alonso did before he retired. Yes. Yep. But that that denies you quite a lot of of on track action. This is where sometimes you need the bigger grid to to bump the field up. You shouldn't really have a race where effectively six cars are gone for kind of nothingy reasons. So the Aston Martins, they realised they'd not got the the setup for for the sprint race. So in the sprint race, yeah, you know, it was looking poor. There was no real way to come back. So they have to break Park Ferme rules. So after the qualifying on Friday, you're, you're locked in. And if you do anything substantial, anything beyond changing wing levels, you have to then, you, you invalidate your grid spot and you have to start from the pit lane. So for a, a fifth of the grid to have to do that really, really does shine a light on these Park Ferme rules on a sprint weekend. So like, what can we do differently? Can you just go, right, okay, uh, yes, you're locked in. Park Ferme has to be really extended to after the qualifying on on the Saturday, so after the sprint quality. I, I think, yeah, it's nice to kind of go, oh, yeah, it's difficult. It's a bit of a random element, but it doesn't feel very sporting to me right. to go, right, here's Friday, here's an hour. Guess what setup is going to suit you for the next four competitive sessions. That isn't very competition-y for me, and it's miserable mm-hmm. if your team or your driver just gets a, a little setup thing wrong on Friday and that's them done for, for, for four yeah for four competitive sessions I, I, look, there's, I complain a lot about the sprint weekend they are going to try and do something to keep it I hope the things they do are incremental and common sense and not just fire well fortunately for both you and Max Verstappen there is no sprint race in Mexico we are back to a <laughs> traditional format before we get back into the sprint in Brazil Two races coming up. I'm I'm very excited. There's four. There's three sprint races in four events. Wow! You have to feel that's deliberate. That's you have to feel I'm that's sure. them going to the shareholders. Hey, look at the viewing figures for the last four <laughs> events. Three of which have been sprint weekends. Oh, I think we should have some more, Jeff. All mm. right, Derek. Half the half the calendar sprint weekends. You've sold me. We love a tinfoil hat, don't we? Um, anything else you want to hit on before we take off? To end on a just a positive note, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes we we get upset about track choices and say tracks being there for financial or political reasons. But the Circuit of the Americas is it's a real race track and there's a, a real history and spirit of racing in the country mm-hmm. and the area. It's a, it's a nation, an area, and an event that gets racing right from the beginning, from the track layout to the entertainment that they have there to the spirit of the event and they've just got so much right uh, and it's just it's just worth praising an event as good as this and this may be this might be the peak for uh, American Grand Prix this season <gasps> wow. <laughs> wow well Lewis Hamilton surely seemed to think so after the race he I wanted to say I wish I loved anything as much as Lewis Hamilton seems to love America because Gave a very impassioned, uh, impassioned speech there. I, I respected it. Um, 
Thank you, Spainers, for joining. Thank you to Eduardo Ocampo for the production help. And thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been the Ringer F1 show. We will be back very soon. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.